Welcome to the Border Chronicle podcast. I am Todd Miller, and I am happy to have with me today Tana Autumn leader Amy Wan. And now I've known Amy now for more than a decade Mm -hmm. um, when she was a founder of the Tana Autumn Hemedjkam Rights Network. And uh, since then, Amy has been really a go-to person for me about what's going on on the Autumn Nation, but not only that, but what sort of vision about what is happening next. And Amy um, works now at the San Javier Cooperative Farm. And Amy, are you still at the International uh, Indian Treaty Council as well? Yes, I am. So the two two hats, two jobs, <laughs> or probably many many uh, jobs, I imagine that you that you have actually. If we, if we parsed it all up, um, but welcome, Amy. It's really really a pleasure and an honor to have you on. In fact, I just I wanted to mention one more thing. Amy was also the very first person we interviewed on the Border Patrol, uh, the Border Patrol, what am I talking about? The Border <laughs> Chronicle <laughs> podcast um, almost now two years ago. So welcome again to the Border Chronicle podcast, Amy. Hello, good gosh, it's good to be here again. So the, the purpose of talking to you today is I wanted to, to ask you or dive in deeper into what happened on May 18th. And on May 18th, um, the U.S. Border Patrol shot and killed Tana Atom member, um, resident Raymond Matia. And Amy, I, I was wondering if you could um, describe what happened that day and the story around what happened with Raymond. Yes, so... <clears throat> We, um, on, on that day, there were reports of a killing, a shooting of Mr. Matias in a community um, called Adichuk, or Manager's Dam, uh, which is located in the Gua'a community, Gua'a district of the Tanat Nation. And just to give people an idea of this community, um, it's definitely one of the most militarized communities. Um, on the nation uh, in terms of Border Patrol presence. So so this community, um, the Aritya community, is, I think, one of the most um, prominent in terms of having issues with Border Patrol, having issues um, on the border. It, it lies directly on the border or actually is divided um, by the existing border um, barrier. But so there's there's always different issues there and definitely um, a lot of advocacy on behalf of autumn coming out of that community because um, it is a very secluded community. Um, it's it's west um, of cells, west of the capital, um, a lot closer to the um, port of entry, the Lukeville port of entry there. And so it is it is um, a community that has you know, is constantly um, being bombarded with these different issues. 
And so, um, can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. Did that, did, was that a community involved with the towers? Remember when the, yeah. the yeah. integrated so fixed towers? I guess I towers? can explain that a little more when I say that, um, is that, you know, there's definitely a lot of vocal autumn that uh, come from that community. There's uh, Ophelia Rivas. Um, there's also um, others that have been vocal about the towers when the towers were going up. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, his name is slipping for me right now, but I'll I'll get back to that. But there's there's a, a small group of autumn that when the IFTs integrated fixed towers, um, the planning and the um, EIS, um, the environmental impact statements, and all of that work was being done um, years ago. They raised concerns about how the IFTs, uh, what the impact of the IFTs was going to be not only on the environment, specifically pollinators, bees, bats, and butterflies, um, but also the, imp the health impacts on autumn or the community that, that, um, that lives there. And so that's what I mean by, you know, this community being, um, being one that has always been prominent in, in border issues for the, for the nation. And so for um, the killing of Raymond Matias, to happen there, it's definitely brought up a lot of um, concerns. You know, there's always been concerns um, of Border Patrol abuse. There's not really a lot of oversight in that community. Like I said, they're pretty secluded. They're very, you know, towards the western end of the nation, but also the southern end. You know, like they're they're right there along the border. Um, so for Mr. Matia, um, there's definitely different stories and reports that have come out about what exactly happened. But the clearest that I understood um, about the incident is that um, Mr. Matia, he had called um, Border Patrol, called TOPD in regards to some uh, migrant activity or some activity that was happening um, there in the community or near his home. And uh, when Border Patrol came out to, um, I guess, you know, see what the situation was, uh, when Mr. Matia came out of his home, um, I think just unfortunately, like a lot of other incidents that are reported when people are shot is that he made the wrong move, well, move towards his, his hip or, you know, what have you that they assumed that he had a weapon and um, and shot him. Um, the concern is that not, not did they just shoot him, but they shot him multiple times. And when I first heard about the incident, you know, figured it was just one agent, but from um, what I'm hearing, there were multiple agents that were shooting at the same time. And so he, he was definitely, you know, murdered and killed um, by Border Patrol, and I think what's different about this case is that, you know, it happened in the community. It wasn't a secluded event. Um, there's uh, different ways. We have a whole community as witnesses, and um, Mr. Matia has also been vocal, um, not just, you know, now, but in the past and recently about the activity happening um, that he's seen in his community um, namely involving Border Patrol um, and corruption and, you know, being involved in illegal activities there. And like I said, there's no oversight. 
There's no um, no one there to really monitor the activity that happens there. And so from what I understand, what I've heard from community members and also uh, reporters that have reached out to me, they, they say that they have been talking to Raymond about these issues for a while. And so I, you know, I'm not assuming anything. I'm just, I'm sharing that, you know, this is a, this is um, an instance, you know, where community have been, you know, keeping eyes um, and basically us being, uh, having a community accountability by um, observing the activity that's happening in our communities because we're the, we're the only ones out there. Um, Do you know what he was um, specifically, specifically saying? Specifically um, activity involving Border Patrol and the cartels. Um, I think if people had a clear idea about this community, like I said, it's it's right on the border. Um, you can definitely see the other communities in Mexico from, you know, the line there. And then you have um, the, the town, uh, the port of, of Lukeville um, and the town there. Um, so, you know, like I said, there's, there's a lot of things that happen in that area. And, um, this is my personal opinion is that what concerns me is if, if that is true, um, then it does make sense for, you know, to basically explain how he was killed, why he was killed. Um, I, I see no reason, um, and definitely that's, something that his family has been vocal about. Um, there's no reason for him to have been shot um, as much as he was. I believe there was over 28 um, rounds. but Thir- I believe 38 was, rounds yeah. I read this morning. Yeah. yeah, 38 rounds. 38 rounds. And, you know, that's shoot to kill. That shoot to kill training. You know, it's not just, um, um, you know, if, if they were really concerned about their lives being in danger, they could have just incapacitated him, you know. There's different ways to, to, I think, take care of a situation. And I'm not condoning police violence, but I'm just, I'm just saying that, you know, that's something very clear that everyone, and especially his family and his community, is concerned about, is why was he shot that many times? Um, there, there were, um, um, con- I don't want to say concerns, but I guess some of the reasoning is that he's a veteran. Um, so, you know, just more about Raymond is that from, I, I personally didn't know him. Um, but in talking to community members, everyone said the same thing about him, that he was a good man. Um, he was a veteran. He helped people in the community. He looked out for people and looked out for elders and participated in different ceremonies that happened in those communities and you know that's been the consistent thing um that i've heard is you know we've definitely lost a, a good ottoman you know someone who who really protected and served his community and so for him to lose his life the way that he did um is really sad and concerning um we we know that there have been multiple deaths at the hands of Border Patrol, and they've happened in different ways over the years, um, beginning with Bennett Patricio in the mid, uh, how would we say, uh, early 2000s, I think it was 2002, mm-hmm. 2003, 
and then um, other awesome who have been killed, um, namely in vehicle accidents. Uh, with Could birth. you describe what happened with Bennett Patricio, if you don't mind? Yes. So Bennett Patricio was, I think, probably the first, if not the most prominent uh, story of Autumn be killed, being killed at the hands of Border Patrol. Uh, Bennett Patricio, the story with him is that he was walking home uh, from South to Cowlick community um, early in the morning or late at night, and he... Um, was struck and killed by Border Patrol agent. That's the simple story. Um, the community stories are that he came upon some illegal activity uh, with Border Patrol um, and more specifics about him being run over is that he was run over multiple times. He wasn't just struck once, um, but that he, the details are that it looked like he was... Um, uh, run over multiple, multiple times. times, yeah, to make sure. Like the equivalent of the 38 rounds, but with yes. a vehicle. Yes. And left, and left right there at the roadside to, to die. And, um, you know, his family, again, were very vocal about his death. Um, they were very involved in the case, very vocal, telling stories, um, but they were also threatened. They were silent. and um, By the Border Patrol? I don't know who, <laughs> I mm -hmm. don't know who, yeah. but from <clears throat> the stories that his mom would share, you know, it got bad enough for them to move out of state and for them to, to literally be silenced. And, um, that case, uh, did go to court, but it, it didn't go anywhere. The agent, um, I forget his name. I believe his name was Lonnie. <clears throat> um, but he, you know, he was found not guilty. Um, and that that was that um the most recent besides Raymond Matia um the most recent death was uh about two years ago there was a young woman who uh, was involved in an accident a vehicle accident with border patrol um on highway 86 and so a pattern that I'm seeing is that <clears throat> um, up until now and a lot of the deaths um, that involved Border Patrol are young autumn, young autumn people. Um, and then now with Mr. Matia, um, this happening, you know, it's very traumatizing because it reminds us um, that uh, of, of the danger that we are also in when we're dealing with Border Patrol. And most, mostly because there's no accountability process. Um, could you could you say what happened with the woman? Was she um, or was she driving down Highway eighty six, which is the highway that goes right through the Tonatam Nation, yeah. and um, was uh, Border Patrol on her tail or chasing her? They, or they weren't chasing do you know the details? her. Yeah, they weren't chasing her. It wasn't. Um, there wasn't a a correlation, you know, between why they were, um, why or what was you know happening there, but. Um, it it was when it happened there wasn't a lot a whole lot of discussion you know i think people just checked it off as a as a vehicle accident because there are a lot of accidents that happen on highway 86 um <clears throat> but i can share that um i did raise concerns because again to me it's 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 something that we do need to be keeping track track of is 
um, the data, the number of, of autism or the number of incidents that involve autism um, dying uh, in, at the hands of Border Patrol or, or involving some kind of incidents with Border Patrol. Um, so I did express my concerns at that time of the accident and I did get a, um, a uh, message in confidence from um, an EMT who did say, you know, I can't say this publicly, but I do want to do want to share because I know you pay attention to these things that from what I could see when I arrived on the scene, that it was um, the fault of, of the Border Patrol agent who also lost his life. So not only did the young woman, but also the agent at the time. <clears throat> so um, and, and that wasn't that wasn't the first um, death that involved a vehicle. So I think there's a multi multitude of issues. You know, it's not only that they're carrying weapons at all times and, you know, whatever their training is, it's obviously to to kill <laughs> the the most extreme. And then when it comes to vehicles, it's a lot of times it's reckless driving. They drive really fast. Um, I think especially because there's always agents rotating through the nation and the community. Not a lot are familiar with the roads, the road conditions, the wildlife, the curves. It's just a whole lot of things that mm-hmm. for us as community members, we pay attention to and are always mindful and careful of. They tailgate too, right? I hear that a lot or they come right on somebody's rear end and drive really close and really fast. Yes. Yes. It actually used to be worse. You know, you would, you would see them, um, you know, set up at different areas on the nation and they would be blinding you, you know, they would have their, their lights on or their brights on and, you know, for them to monitor people, um, and, you know, I, I, I had that experience myself. It's it's just a nuisance. Um, I don't see that too much often now. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, there's still there's still issues like that, especially the reckless driving um, is when a lot of speeding is something you see all the time. What other issues as far as thinking about the militarization that you've seen on the nation, what are some of the other issues besides like reckless driving um, that have happened over the years? Um, I think it really started um, with just the, <sighs> from, from what I see as someone that's grown up on the nation, um, Seeing the influx of Border Patrol come and set up their operations as far as the bases, um, the checkpoints is is something, you know, it's re- really where it started um, because that establishes control, that establishes presence, and that establishes, I guess, on their end, you know, their means of their operations. So that definitely affects us. Um, I think <clears throat> one thing that people have kind of gotten used to um, is the the checkpoints, but that's also always been a problem area. And again, going back to the rotation of the agents um, through the nation, you know, you can just, it's just unpredictable. You might get someone who's, you know, kind and cordial, or you might get someone who's an asshole um, and questions you. Um, 
<clears throat> just last year, I did um, deal with an elder who um, was questioned at the checkpoint. He was taking his grandson some clothes. You know, he had a couple of duffel bags um, in the back of his vehicle um, coming from the nation here to Tucson. <clears throat> and he was stopped at the checkpoint and harassed by um, the agents there. And they were telling him that it was illegal to bring duffel bags across the checkpoint. And I'm like, how is that illegal? You get, you know, uh, tourists and travelers coming from Tucson or where have you to Rocky Point or Puerto Pinasco. And I'm pretty sure they have duffel bags, you know. No, they just don't. They just don't carry duffel bags at all. They just throw their clothes and, um, on the on the, yeah. the the elder. Um, he he was scared. You know, he 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 was scared enough to not want to to leave the nation and go through the checkpoint again. And I thought that was a really cowardly thing to do, you know, to instill fear or to use fear tactics on an elder. Yeah, um, um, yeah. Could you talk about check checkpoint? Checkpoint trauma. Yes. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And how? And first, how long have those checkpoints been there oh, man. for? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even. I want to say since the early two thousands. I can't even put a. Um, if if I you know went back into my my notes and my papers, you know Todd had shared we've known each other for more than ten years now, and so I think that you know, should tell people, you know, how long we've mm -hmm. been living with this issue. And even beforehand, uh, more than 10 years, I would say 15 or 20 years now. Uh, but more specifically with the operations that are set up now, there's there's the ebb and flow or just the highs and the lows of, of um, the experience of dealing with Border Patrol. And the checkpoint trauma is, I think, something that... Um, that I think we don't, like I said, we kind of got used to it and we don't really think about it too often now. But, you know, there has been times like just this past year, there was a couple of months where the, the checkpoint, you know, is there, but it was shut down. There was no agents there. Uh, you didn't have to stop. You know, you just go through. And that was really like, you know, it's on one end, it's a, a breath of fresh air. You don't have to stop. You don't have to get questions, right. all of that. But on the other end, you're like, well, what's going on? You know, it's it kind of becomes normalized. Like, why is it shut down kind of thing? Um, <clears throat> and yes, instilling that sh that checkpoint trauma, especially for kids, it's something that I share all the time is if you think about your kids, um, to the listeners, you know, that don't live on a reservation with checkpoints to every entrance and exit to your home. If you think about your kids, you know, those daily things about, you know, they're going to school, say they're going to go on a field trip. It's not part of their daily life to have to go through a checkpoint and have an agent get on their bus and check, check them and make sure that they're all U.S. citizens. You know, that's just not a, that's not a, a daily happening uh, or a daily experience that any kid should have to go through. We know that it, it it is, you know, in different parts of the world. But when people think about the United States of America, they're definitely not thinking about kids having that type of experience. And so there is a trauma. And I think um, that makes me really sad when I think about it and I talk about it is because, you know, it's not just physical abuse or physical trauma. <clears throat> when we think about dealing with border patrol, it's also psychological mental trauma 
um, of, you know, living in a, in a militarized community. And do you think that this, the, the killing of Raymond Matia, is that going to exacerbate this sort of maybe distrust or these are even more like the trauma that people feel around the border patrol? It definitely does for me. And if I'm feeling it, I'm pretty sure other people are too. Because again, you know, we've had, um, you know, it's been some time since there's been like an incident like this to happen um, involving border patrol. So it's kind of like, you know, you get used to, okay, everything's okay. There's no issues. And then this happens and then it's a reminder of what's possible and the danger that anyone can be in, you know, whether they live on the border or not. If, if there's border patrol around um, and there's an incident, you know, and you're murdered or you're killed, there's no oversight. There's no accountability process. And I think that's, you know, an interesting tactic because when things happen like this, it's like, well, where does it go? You know, people make reports. Um, but as far as pressing charges, as far as, as far as someone who's on it, you know, to make sure that there's some type of justice, it really comes down to community members and the, the families as, and that's been the experience, um, that we've seen throughout the years. I definitely feel that there needs to be more done on the nation side to, to have a, um, more transparent and accountable process when it comes to dealing with border patrol. So that's what I hope comes out of it. Um, I, I think that, (laughs) uh, one thing that does come into play right now is that we are in our uh, re-election season, our election season for the Thanatham Nation. Um, so, you know, you have this administration who's on its way out the door, um, they're not really doing much, putting much work in. And then you have these candidates who are vying for that seat or for that position of chairperson. Um, and, you know, they have their own ideas about how to remedy the situation, but it's really going to come down to, to the action, you know, not just words, um, but, you know, really putting something in place and really putting in the work of creating Um, stronger policies and stronger systems for dealing with border patrol have the candidates responded to the 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 killing of raymond matia at all have they mentioned it in their campaigns or anything yes yes they have yes and i imagine the the tribal the outgoing council person also um not really not from what i've seen uh honestly yeah, okay, it's, so. it's in the, and that's, you know, that's also part of what's going to drive the community. If we don't see any action or movement by our tribal government to to protect us and to um, hold Border Patrol accountable, there's going to be some push. And that's where I got involved, <laughs> you know, in the past um, um, couple of years is, is that, you know, especially as a young person. Um, because we don't want to see it. we don't want to see any more deaths by border patrol in our community by the hands of border patrol, and that was um, the reason for us being vocal and pushing and and um, 
uh, yeah, pushing our, our tribal government to listen and pay attention. And when I mean we, you know, at the time we were college students at TOCC, um, seeing Border Patrol abuse at the checkpoints, especially to our elders, was what really lit that fire. And, you know, our, our elders, our young people, our children are our most precious resource. For So for us as young uh, adults, you know, we 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 were angry and we wanted to to push our, our council to be uh, more uh, vocal. And so we did push for community forums. Um, we did protests, uh, incels at the checkpoints. You know, there was a lot that came out of that. And most importantly, to educate our community about what their rights are when dealing with Border Patrol. Um, so there was a whole lot going on. And I think um, throughout the years, you know, we paid attention not to just the Border Patrol violence and abuse, but things that were coming. So the IFTs, the border wall, um, things that we were paying attention to. And at the time, I think people were thinking, oh, these, these are just some some uh, rowdy, radical, you know, <laughs> young autumn. Mm-hmm. But uh, these past couple of years have been really eye-opening and reaffirming uh, because all of our concerns came to be and came to pass. Um, and now we're here, you know, and it's, I think, and I hope that um, people will continue to pay attention to that and trust in our own experience and our own voices when it comes to figuring out solutions for these issues, um, because we're definitely the ones living with it. Yeah. What, what do you think, uh, um, as maybe the final question to, what do you think are some of the visions you might have for the future when looking at these problems, the border patrol on the nation? Well, Right now, uh, you know, there's definitely partnerships um, that the nation has with the Border Patrol and the Department of Homeland Security. Um, There's agreements that the council and the tribe has made with the Border Patrol in the form of resolutions and things like that. But what we have yet to see and what I would like to see is a specific department within the Tonawatam Nation government that deals uh, specifically with border issues. I think that up until now, uh, the council, the chairman, you know, anyone that they've delegated to deal with Border Patrol um, has just been that, uh, while at the same time running a nation, you know. And I think there really needs to be a staff that's devoted um, specifically to border issues. And, you know, if that's an advocate uh, of some sort, also uh, someone who deals in international law, I feel like, because, you know, that's also something I think we need to pay attention to is that we are um, a nation divided. We are uh, a people that have communities on both sides of the, the border the U.S.-Mexico border. So I think that definitely puts us in the international arena when it comes to dealing with these issues. And also translators, um, and Spanish, uh, English translators, um, to be able to communicate effectively between all of these communities and somebody who's going to advocate for us and push for, 
for some justice and accountability when it comes to to dealing with border patrol um that's something that i like to see i know there's probably a whole lot of work <laughs> that needs to be mm -hmm. done to put something like that into place but that's something i like us to start thinking of and have a mindset for you know that we're not waiting for border patrol or the u.s government to create some something <laughs> to create some kind of of process for us um, as a sovereign people as a sovereign government we need to be thinking that way and for us to you know put our foot down and to say no this is how it's going to work when you're on the tunnel of the nation um, I I think that's the attitude that we need to have moving forward and so <clears throat> definitely with <laughs> the changing leadership you know that's something that I'm paying attention to is 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 you know that's what I that's what I want to see I want to see uh, fearless leadership um, leadership that's not afraid to make changes and you know if that's now or later on down the road um, I I'm a part of that and I want to continue to be a part of that and do you do you know what the next steps are going to be with the Raymond Matia shooting is, I do. do you, is there anything timeline or anything that you know about? Um, no, I just know that it's still under investigation. Um, I think one of the interesting things um, that I read was Border Patrol's um, report of what happened um, and that they were um, saying that they would they would make the um, body cam the body cameras public, um, the, the footage from those, from, from that incident public. Um, so I think that's what people are waiting for, you know, to see exactly what happened that night with, with Raymond. Yeah. I know that they released a body cam footage on another shooting recently. I can't remember where it was. Um, so, and I know, I read earlier today that they, they have that footage. So yeah. So maybe people should keep an eye out. Listeners should keep an eye out for that. Right. Yes. Whenever yeah. that gets released. Yes. And I think also the good thing <clears throat> and interesting thing about, about, um, this, this incident with Raymond again, is it happened in the community, um, a small community, uh, very, very tight-knit community um so for me it's it's also um different because in the past when incidents happen there wasn't really um anyone to advocate so for us as young community members we felt like that was our role you know to to um vote to be vocal and to express these concerns um to protect our community and now with his family being involved and that community being involved, um, there's also a sense of, you know, respect um, that if there's anything that's going to come out or any kind of movement, um, it, it, we just have to be respectful and mindful of that community and his family. So, you know, for one thing, um, they didn't really want like a, a media frenzy. Um, to happen, especially the weekend that they had his funeral services. So the community and his family and, and had went to the nation 
to ask for support. Um, and the nation did put out a statement basically saying no media were allowed um, in the community or at his services. <clears throat> so um, for for this case, um, and I think for others who um, are activists or, you know, advocates, we're being respectful of the family's wishes and um, moving um, at, at their time and their pace. Um, and they're, you know, they've, they've been pretty good about um, sharing and making announcements or, or sharing information. So we'll just keep an, an eye out for that and see how we can support them. Thank you so much, Amy Juan. It was, a, as always, it's, it's great and a pleasure to talk to you and hear your insight and your um, knowledge about all these issues. Um, if people wanted to learn more about you, Amy, where could they go and find out? I'm, I'm anywhere you can find me. <laughs> uh, like, like, like Todd said, uh, you know, I, I currently work here at San Javier Co-op Farm. And, um, you know, a lot of people will probably say, well, how is that related to the border, <laughs> the border work? Um, but, but I've seen that it definitely relates. Um, and it is a way to kind of balance out, you know, this heaviness of, of what we as all of them have to deal with, um, in our, in our home. Um, like I said, living in a militarized community, it, it can be very heavy sometimes, um, so how do we balance that? We balance that by being who we are and strengthening who we are. And so through food, um, I found that as a way, you know, to continue on and to continue being of service to the community. And also food is a weapon. You know, when we talk about uh, cross-border um, um, traditions or maintaining those connections with our communities and our families across the border, food is definitely a strong way to do that. Uh, sharing seed, you know, making sure that we're continuing these traditions despite these barriers is something that's really important for me. And so that's my work now. Um, this is where most people can find me. Um, I am on social media, but I'm also very careful about who um, has access to that. <laughs> so mm -hmm. if anyone's interested in, in reaching out to me, I would just say, you know, reach out, shoot me a message, let me know who you are if you're interested in talking more. Um, and I'll be open to that. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you to Todd for having me. I appreciate um, your support always and um, just your consistent way of maintaining um, a connection and uh, a connection for not only me, but for our community, for the nation, and making sure that our voices are amplified in these border issues. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Amy. It's great to have you back on again you're um i believe you and only one other person have been on the on the podcast twice and i imagine uh you <laughs> listeners can will find you here another time I'm not sure exactly when but um you're always such a great guest and interview and a great friend so um thanks again and uh thank you all um for listening to the border chronicle podcast You've been listening to the Border Chronicle podcast. The Border Chronicle is reported by Todd Miller and Melissa Del Bosque, based in Tucson, Arizona. This episode was edited by me, Steve Heiss. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us on your favorite podcast platform. It will help other people find the show. 
You can read and listen to more local border journalism on our website, theborderchronicle.com.